0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Small Biz Gone Viral, an attempt via podcast to humanize the impact COVID-19 is having on small businesses. I'm your host, Grant LeBeau. My guest today is the amazing Jen Reichert, a fifth-generation duck farmer and owner of her own wine label. But before we get to the interview, I was told by my friends who listened to the last episode that I should probably give a little more background about my business. So, Real quick, seven years ago as a side project, my dad, Rick, and I started Rickaroons, a coconut energy bar company baking in his kitchen and selling at our local farmer's market. We grew it by focusing on smaller juice bars and coffee shops, office pantries, and in the last year, Costco road shows. We thought we were really smart by avoiding the crowded, competitive, cutthroat, and just generally resource-sucking spaces of grocery and e-commerce, but, With roadshows canceled, cafes closed, and everyone working from home, that strategy doesn't seem so smart now, does it? All right, as will become painfully obvious, yes, this podcast is an excuse to chat up some of my favorite entrepreneurs slash humans, but hopefully by being honest about the pandemic's effects, both professionally and personally, we will entertain and maybe educate, laugh and maybe cry, but most of all, remind everyone You are not alone. This situation genuinely sucks for all of us, but we're going to get through it together. Because this podcast is meant to be a time capsule of sorts and to capture the moment, I think it's helpful to provide some context. So with that in mind, here are some key public health and economic statistics from the date of this interview, March 31st, 2020. There have now been 860,000 total reported cases worldwide, with just over 43,000 deaths, up 60 and 80% respectively in the last five days. In the U.S. alone, there are currently 178,000 active cases and over 4,000 deaths. For perspective, since we recorded our first interview just five days ago, active cases doubled and deaths have tripled. So things are rapidly getting worse. Moving on to the economics, but continuing with the dismal news, the week before our last show, there were 3.3 million first-time unemployment filings. You may remember that was almost five times worse than the previous record, which I compared to a gallon of gas going from $3 on Monday to over $14 by Friday. Well, it got worse. According to the Department of Labor's latest release, 6.8 million people filed this last week. That means our gallon of gas is now $30. And although it's still a mediocre metric, unless you're friend of the show Warren Buffett, the Dow Jones finished the day at $22,300, down 25% from its all-time high in mid-February, but basically unchanged since our last interview. And with that depressing set of stats, let's move on to the fun part. Today on the show we have from Liberty Ducks, Jen Reichert, a fifth-generation duck farmer from Petaluma, California, just north of san francisco whose family has been serving northern california families for over a hundred years and supplying michelin star restaurants for the last 30. and just in case that's not impressive enough jen also has her own wine label raft wine hey jen thanks so much for being here
1: that was like a radio lab intro (laughs)
0: <laughs> the highest compliment. Uh, all right, Jen, I just realized I left out of your intro one of my favorite accolades of yours. You were named top 40 under 40 by a wine magazine, and you did it while you were under 30. Can you remind me of the details?
1: Uh, 40 under 40 for the wine enthusiast. It's a tastemaker is what they
0: call us. So b- basically world famous. Um, <laughs> And then also, um, and much more importantly, you are the first double business owner who's been on the show. And by first, Ooh! I mean, you're literally guest number three, but uh, it doesn't matter.
1: You know, I'm going to roll with it. I like it.
0: Okay, so a little bit about you, fifth generation Petaluma duck farmer. You're you're the bee's knees. You're the purveyor of the, the world's finest duck. Uh, your family's <laughs> been supplying... Duck to Michelin star restaurants for years and years. That's what I know. Why don't you tell me a little bit more about you? Um, give me the the as we were talking about in the the pre show, um, what I've now come to to call the the BC the before COVID uh, kind of background about your your company, your family, basically everything up until February one.
1: Yeah, we've been raising ducks in California since 1901. Um, My dad split off in 1992 to start his own ducks, which is what's known as Liberty Ducks. So you are correct. We uh, sell to Michelin star restaurants, but kind of also take pride in the fact that we sell to all of our local neighborhood joints as well. So kind of from no star to three star, um, just anyone who's really looking for good quality meat. That is, you know, sustainably farmed and uh, comes from a good space.
0: And remind me, when did you start working with your family?
1: So I joined full time back with the farm in 2016, uh, but I've been kind of a forever employee. Uh, I have very early memories of my brother and I, you know folding paper statements and putting stamps on them and mailing them every week. And then the second I turned 16 years old, I was a delivery driver uh, running, you know, errant orders here, there, and everywhere. Um, And then just kind of always a general ambassador and liaison for the farm. Some of my other early memories are going to wineries in Napa, and uh, dad would be cooking, and my brother and I would run around and collect other food samples for him to eat and for us to eat and kind of
0: yes. witnessing. Yes, I, I have. I, it's funny. I have the exact same memories because my dad was also yeah. in the business that I am now in, and some of yeah. my earliest <laughs> memories are going to trade shows or, or actually my first job was, was doing uh, food demos at Whole Foods for the companies that my dad was a, a broker for. Oh uh, um, yeah. And then e- extra um little tidbit here and as, which is perfectly relevant since uh you are the the queen of the wa- of the wine industry. Um mm-hmm. I remember doing a demo with my dad for I think it was an ice cream company so we were in the freezer section and I was like 8 and I remember leaning at on a um on a unsupported uh stack of wine bottles. It was oh, like, no. I don't know if it was like crates or boxes or what, but I leaned on it and I remember there was just a river of red wine, uh, <laughs> like the whole like stack of cases came crashing down. Red wine everywhere, obviously very traumatic, but not tra- not traumatic enough to keep me out of the natural foods industry.
1: Yeah, <laughs> whole foods can scare you away.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, but back, um,
1: back back to you, back to you. No, no. I mean, I'm sure in my day, I probably knocked over a bottle of wine or two. And goodness knows, since I've been a maker, I've spilt my fair share. Right. Um, everyone always asks, like, how did I get in the wine industry coming from food? And I, to me, for my entire life, it's always been... The same industry. We've always been kind of hand in hand. So it was an easy transition to start making wine in 2011. And then I launched my own brand in 2016. So coming back to the business full time and launching Raft Wines was the same year. And it basically all happened because I couldn't work for other wineries and work for the family business. And when I worked for those other wineries, I missed the family business. So in order to kind of pursue my own. Individual passion within wine, and work with the family, and work with our restaurants. I had to just start my own project.
0: And and I know the I know the answer, but tell me tell tell our our tens of listeners uh, (laughs) why your wine label is named Raft Wines.
1: Oh yeah, so a raft is a community of waterfowl like ducks. So if you see them all floating in a pond together, it's called a raft of ducks. But I wanted to name it something that was relatable to the business. Um, So on the label, there's two little duck feet and then on the label and um, two on the cork on the top. Then I also like to say that I've been the raft floating through life and my community has kind of kept me going and kept me afloat. So the whole thing is really community crafted and there's many hands in the process even though I don't have any employees.
0: And for the people who aren't familiar with Petaluma, it's just north of the bay area is a very agriculturally rich area and is known as a community of makers right
1: yeah definitely that we actually have in petaluma there's we call it the petaluma river but it's actually a tidal slough so you can actually reach the bay from petaluma by boat Um, so back way back when You know, they were sending boats all the way up here, and this was kind of like a takeoff meetings point for trade and commerce. And so because it's, you know, very lush land that's, you know, agricultural heavy, it was just sort of a kind of good starting point for the Bay. Um, So it's kind of nice. Like, I feel even though we're in Sonoma County and we're connected to them, that direct link into san francisco makes me feel a little, lot more connected and cosmopolitan if you will
0: <laughs> right <laughs> the the cosmo the cosmopolitan metropolitan <laughs> hub of petaluma
1: yeah exactly exactly um but i love you know this area because there's we're surrounded by wine we're really close to san francisco uh, but we're also really close to the coast and the ocean so it's kind of like a nice starting point point. and for the ducks that's actually why they taste so good Um, we raise them in these beautiful open air barns. Um, so there's no heating or air conditioning and they get that coastal climate. Um, so through the seasons, you know, in the summer, they're a little leaner because it's warm. And then in the winter they fatten themselves up because it's cold. And so it kind of goes with the farm to table menus that our restaurants are creating.
0: Right, so I guess give us a little bit of background in terms of the um, the, the scale of the business. Uh, share as much or as little as you want in terms of numbers, but just um, I know you mentioned the the zero to three star. Uh, I, I love that, by the way. Um, <laughs> zero zero to three star. It kind of what's the what's the geographic reach, kind of number of doors serviced, that sort of thing. If you if you want to share, um, yeah. just give us kind of kind of an idea of the of the scope of business.
1: Sure. So the the ducks on any given time, we have around 20,000 at the farm. Um, We actually lease three different uh, barn sites out in West Petaluma. Um, So they're kind of spread out amongst all three of those locations. And then we work with, on average, around 220 direct-to-restaurants. So that's a big portion of my job is being that middle liaison and communicating with them which is anything from taking orders to processing all that and then you know accounts receivables and all those sorts of fun money things yes Um, yes I, i
0: know how that is in a it sounds it sounds very familiar in being that that specific role in a family um family business
1: yeah 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 it's so weird because i'm generally a very like nice and polite person and then i have to put all my like bad bad boy hat and be like you haven't paid us in a long time (laughs) (laughs) please pay us but I still want to be your friend Um, yeah yep it's a funny I always get really exhausted on those days when I have to like I try to group it all together and so I just spend one horrible day going after money and then the rest of the days are really nice but yeah so that in general we we do deliveries to the Greater Bay Area, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then to Sonoma and Napa counties on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And then we ship four days a week, but kind of primarily in the beginning of the week. And we have about 40 restaurants down in Los Angeles, um, some down in San Diego, and then a couple in the other Western states. Um, it's kind of funny that we used to ship a lot more to like New York and out of state, but shipping costs have gotten really expensive. So we've Yeah, had they back- really have. And and it seems like, well, B.C., uh, there were so many flights happening that it should have gotten a lot cheaper um but at this point it's more expensive for me to ship a box of duck to new york than it is for me myself to fly there so we've kind of backed off of those until we can find some other options but so yeah i would say primarily west coast based with our select few in the middle and east part of the state
0: that's amazing i'm just imagining you flying on southwest with two free checked bags right uh, stuffed with like You know, 40 pounds of duck and 10 pounds of ice to to get under that 50 pound limit. Yeah. Arriving on scene with 80 pounds of duck. uh, Direct flights only.
1: Yeah, just like handing it off and then coming back. I mean, I literally (laughs) could get flights cheaper than that, which is ridiculous. Um, It's a great way to get companion pass. Totally, yeah. Like the the perishable product, you're really limited to... 2 day air is totally fine we can get away with 3 day ground shipping to uh, Colorado but it's it gets a little dicey if anything goes wrong then you lose your buffer window real quick so right, um, right. yeah perishable products are a whole another level um which is why in wine shipping wine is really complicated because each state has different rules however generally speaking i don't have to worry about the wine going bad in transit unless it's over 80 degrees or under 32 degrees so, <laughs> so basically you
0: like you like to ship in the shoulder in the shoulder seasons exactly and
1: fall. exactly which is why or for in the wine industry everyone does their wine releases in end of march early april and then again in october november So you want to get them out before everyone's getting these deep freezes or these huge heat spikes. Um, So
0: I feel like every time I talk to you, I I pick up one new key fun fact about the wine industry. And this this time, I think the the one that I'm going to hang on to is uh, when people do the wine releases and why.
1: Yeah, I mean, and it's both times the temperature will ruin the wine. So if the wine gets too hot, obviously, well, doesn't taste very good, but it can push through the cork because the wine expands. Um, and then it creates, a, it breaks the seal. And so it gets oxidized and gets bad. And conversely, if you ship it when it's too cold, it, again, gets too big and gets icy and pushes the cork. <laughs> so it's all about volume.
0: Oh, my gosh. <laughs> All right. Well, so your family's been doing this for a a long time, but specifically your dad has been working more with restaurants um, in the Mm -hmm. Bay Area for the last, uh, what's that, 28, 29 years. Yeah. Um, So obviously you're you're pretty plugged in um, with a lot of these very upscale restaurants, but all the way, as you've mentioned, all the way down to zero star. So was that, did that make it easier when you launched your wine label? And obviously you had already been in the wine business before you had worked abroad. Was, did that make it easier to kind of plug into a, an established network already? And do you work with a lot of those restaurants?
1: Yes. And yes. Um, So I've, kind of created like my social media you know originally it wasn't a business account and it was just basically trial or my travels through the wine industry so I started making wine in Sonoma County but then as you said yeah I did a harvest in Chile and then I came back up here and then did a harvest in Australia and so People started following me and like seeing, oh, she she has this duck connection, but she's learning how to make wine and she's working for these cool producers, um, and and kind of connecting the dots. So when it came to launch, I had all these people already following my whole career in the wine industry. So they already knew, like I I knew what I was doing, um, and then once I started selling my wine, it was. I wouldn't say easy, but easier um, to get some of those restaurant placements because I sort of knew who to contact. So, you know, if I wanted to sell at uh, Mr. Jew's, for example, it's a really awesome restaurant in Chinatown here in San Francisco. I could message their stuff and be like, hey, who do I need to talk to to taste my wine so that I can try to get them on the menu? So they send me their, that contact information. I go down do the tasting appointment, they still have to like the wine and want to put it on their list. Right. Right. And so that's always, you know, you never know what the specific buyer's palate is going to exactly be like, but I'm specifically making wine that is really food friendly um, and really approachable in price. Point so that they can put it as a by the glass option, and if they're serving the duck, it's a super fun way for the their staff and their servers to be like, "Hey, you're ordering the duck. Well, we also have this wine by the glass. You know, you can get a, a glass of it, you can get a bottle of it, but it's made by the same family, kind of meant to go together." Yeah. Um, so, co-marketing in mind, it's not the only thing. Like I sell to a lot of bottle shops that, of course, don't sell any you know cooked product, but um, it definitely is a fun connection for people
0: right yeah I would say uh, two things about that one it sounds like to a certain extent sales is sales and it's kind of a common theme of of course the you need a quality product to get across the finish line but sometimes just to to start the race the the benefit of of knowing who to talk to just having like the right phone number sometimes especially at a larger organization cannot be overstated I feel like Totally, I, I feel yes. the the same way. Where especially when I'm a, when I'm just cold calling, just getting past that that info at email address, yeah, is like <laughs> yeah. if I can just get a name of someone, that's like a victory in it of in and of itself. Sometimes, and then as far as uh, telling the story, I, I hadn't really thought about that, but it, it totally makes sense that the there's a value in your specific story. Um, and in and it's it's just it's so e- easily palatable um for both for a server to latch onto and to remember it oh duck daughter yeah easy oh th- yeah. We, we've been we've been serving her duck for you know decades oh now she has wine perfect and you're super personable so i'm sure that you're you know you probably have lots of fans in the bay area specifically on the restaurant staff so people want to help you out and then what, what I've certainly noticed over the years is, you know, our products, I'm, I'm sure similar to yours, you know, we can say we're organic and we're gluten free and, and we're vegan. And there are all of these kind of um, little check marks and, and they're great. And they have, they have, you know, their own little subsets of fans or uh, people who make those things their top priority. But mm-hmm. the thing that I see make people's faces light up the most is hearing that we are a small family company, and I feel like people, right. especially in the Bay Area, in in uh, and, and I'm sure in Petaluma, they like voting with their dollars and supporting companies that are smaller, family owned, local. Though those are kind of the the buzzwords that I feel like are maybe not making a resurgence, maybe just a, a surgence. Yeah, uh, we share some more things in common than I I may have realized. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think you're totally right. Like we do have some people who they only want organic or they only want this. And the same thing with wines. Like I work with all organic farm grapes, but I don't actually say so on the label because a lot of my places there they aren't certified. And so it's kind of like I'm yep. I'm making the effort and I'm telling my consumer like, "Yes, I'm doing that." But like at the end of the day, yes, you're right. Like they they really do care about that human connection and the person behind the product. I think almost more than anything else. Cause if they trust you, then they trust what you're making.
0: But you talked about how you, everything is organic, but you can't put organic on the label because, and just so people know, basically in order for you to have the USDA organic on the label, or actually to, to put organic anywhere on your marketing, other yeah. than just in the ingredient list, uh, basically the, the entire uh, chain of production has to be, uh, certified organic they can't just you know be organic it's not like if you you can put all natural or taste delicious or you know like you even even gluten free uh vegan these are not regulated these are not terms that are regulated by the USDA as like organic is and so uh, i i i hear you we we were there for for a little bit as well and then those certifications are expensive
1: they're so expensive and yeah. for most of my farmers they're just not it's not worth it for them. I'm maybe like the only person buying from them or one of two and it's just totally unreasonable costs. And so yeah, for for me I can say they're made from organically farmed grapes, but I can't say that that wine is organic. It it it's just all wording and stuff and it it definitely gets complicated. But as far as that goes, there's nothing else bug grapes in my wine um right that's (laughs) the nice thing
0: (laughs) on the one hand I I know that like I'm sure you you feel like it would would be nice to have the organic certification on on the label but on the other hand like I I did the math and I can't remember exactly what it is but something like the first like 30,000 rickeroons a year that I sell basically pays off all of the different certifications that we have.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: You know, and, and granted, like we're making, you know, we're selling bars in the in the low dollar price point. And so right. by the time you take into account all the, the layers of distribution in there, what we're actually making, we have to make it up in volume. But still yeah. it's just like sometimes when I'm writing these checks just to, for the certifications, you know, just for the certifications, it's like yeah. <laughs> gosh, you have to pay so many people just to be in business. And then you have to make, you know, you have to sell so much just to actually have anything left over at the end of the day and I I know that the the wine industry I feel like it is nearly impossible to break in as a sole proprietor in the wine industry because it's such a or at least and and tell me correct me if I'm wrong here mm-hmm. but from an outsider looking in it seems like it's a industry that is a competitive with the entrenched players and then b kind of this playground for the wealthy who want to who like have money to, who, who aren't concerned with this being their profitable endeavor yeah, yeah. and so it's just it's even harder than most indi- industries to break in without having like a fat bankroll behind you
1: totally and I would even add see the rules and regulations in alcohol is Ooh, are yeah. so complicated that you know I can't ship to a restaurant in Las Vegas without getting licensed in Nevada and to do so I have to pay all their different fees and licensing and do their all separate it's not just like taxes like sales taxes where right. you can just basically like plug it in it's like all the other stuff and every state has different licenses different fees different structures And so for a small consumer to break into that or a small producer to break into that is next to impossible. Um, You really have to, I have to pinpoint which States I want to sell direct to trade in, which have been two (laughs) um, in my four years, because I just don't have the bandwidth to, or, or the funds to open up all these other States. And luckily this year I've, or I guess 2019, I kind of forget that it's 2020, even though 2020 has definitely made a mark on everyone. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 2020
0: will just not end. Yeah.
1: 2019, I've, I joined this service that I can now ship to 40 states direct to consumer. So that has opened it up a lot because prior to that, I could still only ship to consumers in California. So the first three years I was limited to my home state, which was fine. I didn't make a ton of wine, but when you have social media and, and publications and press and like, no one can get your wine, that's really frustrating. Um, so I, I'm happy to now have this kind of third party platform and they have all the licensing in those States. And so I basically am selling the wine through them, even though it's still on my website, which just makes it a whole lot more fun right Uh, but it still doesn't open up trade like i still can't ship to those restaurants or wine shops out of state
0: i'll just add in really quickly and then we can move on i know that's something as a as a small business it's really difficult uh perfectly aligning the the timing of both production and sales capacity along (laughs) along with your marketing because yeah you know okay if we were in a in a in a checkout stand publication and it was a, we we took out a big front page ad. That's great that everyone knows about us now. But if we're yeah. not in all of those grocery stores that are carrying those publications, then what's the point? And so right. is, you know, same thing for you if you're getting out there and you're getting in these big publications, and then the people can't even buy your product. Uh, what's the point? And yeah, so then you're kind of you're kind of limited in terms of where you can be spending your your marketing dollars efficiently. And whatever marketing dollars those are, which are like you know, a pittance <laughs> compared to uh, you know, the, the the big players who are out there, and, and basically you're just what you're spending on your annual budget is like a rounding error for everybody. Else. Right.
1: Right. Totally. Yeah. It's it's basically I get um, some emails, especially from. Kind of, there's this new wave of wine bloggers and they're super fun and funny. And I like following them all. But occasionally I'll get this email being like, oh, as part of your marketing, you could send us free wine. And I'm like, I don't really have a marketing budget for that. Right. And
0: and that's when you're like, um, oh, I'll, I'll send that over to my head of marketing.
1: Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah.
0: Run it up the chain over in marketing and, and right. see, see what they think. And you're just like, you just spin, used to a 360 in your office chair, and you're like, uh, nope.
1: Yeah. Well, and then the other issue too is unless they buy the wine through my website, I can't ship to them because I'm not, I myself don't have those licenses. (laughs) So you just had all those rules and regulations on it and I got nothing.
0: Right. You're like, oh, I would love to. Unfortunately, you have to actually purchase it through my website. (laughs) I wish there was something I could do.
1: Yeah. It's funny. I mean, it's, it's weird in the both businesses, you know, shipping is a constraint for both of them, but in very different capacities. For the ducks, we didn't have marketing. Our chefs were our marketers. You know, one chef, they were a sous chef somewhere for 10 years and then they decided they want to open their own place or they wanted to become an executive at another place and they just kind of took the product with them. You know, every time someone moved, they, they were like, oh, you're getting duck from that person? Well, you should call Liberty. Like, that's where we got it here and it was so good and we want to, I want to still work with it. So, that right. was kind of a nice, like, internal system that we had. Right. Or, that we didn't have. It just happened. I should say.
0: Yeah, totally. All right, let's go ahead and pivot to MC, aka Mid COVID, and talk Oops. about how COVID nineteen and its related policies are affecting your business, siz businesses.
1: <laughs> After Fed one.
0: Yeah, oh, man. Yeah. So I, I know you. You and I have talked about how we have very similar um, production. Uh, timelines so yeah. for us so we're, we're baking these these energy bars and basically we're submitting a purchase order because we outsource the production um, which just about everybody in our industry does it's very rare to have your own production facility of course, yeah. um, just because the the overhead basically the way that i explained it is we started a company for i don't know five thousand dollars six years ago or maybe you know, somewhere between five and ten probably all in yeah. whereas if you want to start a uh, a, a, a bakery. A, you're talking about all those audits, uh, which are super expensive in and of themselves. And then B, you're talking about uh, you, know, 000, right. you know a hundred thousand dollar mixing bowl and a hundred thousand dollar you know every piece of machinery basically is a hundred grand.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: And so everyone just you just outsource it, and then that allows you to scale as you grow your business without having to constantly scale uh, the the size of your of your actual physical bakery. Yeah. So, with that being said, uh, we work on about a five-week turnaround time, uh, meaning we submit a a, uh, a purchase order at the beginning of the month, and we receive that product into our warehouse uh, about six weeks later. Yeah. So, when you have a pandemic, and I know you you work on a very similar timetable. If if I recall correctly, it's also five weeks.
1: It's nine weeks actually.
0: Nine weeks. Okay. Fantastic.
1: <gasps> Yeah.
0: <laughs> Ugh, super fantastic. Oh, great, great, great. Cool, 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 cool. It means that in the event of an unpredictable uh, worldwide pandemic where the, 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 the hospitality industry, restaurant industry comes to an absolute crashing halt. Scream. It means that you have already committed a ton of resources to producing the duck as predicted. Yeah, because obviously you want to be able to service all of your customers without you know lags in, in in delivery time or or whatever right because as soon as you can't fulfill orders that's when people start shopping elsewhere so yeah. you always want to make sure you've got inventory on hand yeah of course so I know you and I were commiserating about <laughs> uh, kind of what to do when when the when the, just the, the wheels come flying off and <laughs> all of a sudden you're looking at a warehouse going, okay I have a million bajillion of whatever the thing is that I sell and everyone in my normal all, all of my normal customers have set, are, are struggling just to keep their own lights on and I am now that my weekly orders or, or my monthly orders or whatever are now like the last thing on their minds yeah so basically tell me a little bit about kind of how your last uh, six i guess seven eight weeks has been how quickly things evolved on your end and Uh then kind of and then we can kind of move into what how you have adapted from there
1: sure so we actually didn't see any change until march 1st i would say um so we kind of skated through february pretty okay we always have a bigger month in february with valentine's day um makes sense especially since Valentine's Day this year was on a three-day weekend. So you had a lot of people traveling, a lot of people, it was on a Friday night. So maybe you get more diners than you would on a Tuesday night. So we had a huge month. And then the first week of March was actually about normal. It was the second week of March, we saw it drop about 30%. And then by the third week of March, we were down 80% in sales,
0: these numbers sound so familiar. Yeah. And it's, and it's funny I know that it start that covid started to get on people's radar in early February. Yeah. And and I feel like I've internalized like I've aged so much in the last two or three weeks. Yeah. But I forget that it, that it has that it's only been two or three weeks. Because I right. even like I asked that question and now looking back on it I'm like, yeah, of course February was great. Our February was great. And then, you know, first week of March was good. And then basically, uh, things just happened so fast. It's like every day you would wake up and there would be some new, there'd be new news, uh, new rules, new regulations. And, you know, we're both in California, but you're in the Bay Area, which was maybe somewhere between like five and seven days ahead of where we are in San Diego in terms of uh, the shelter in place rules, how it went from, Kind of guidelines to $1,000 fines for, you know, being on the boardwalk.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we, uh, I believe it was the 15th that San Francisco got their shelter in place. And it Mm -hmm. went from having, like, the, the governor, it was you know, take out half your dining tables and that will be enough space to no diners at all in like the yeah. matter of two days, basically. Like there wasn't even time to adjust to that. And so, yeah, we, with being nine weeks of production time and we, we, every week we get new, we start new ducks. So like, that's just a constant, no matter what. So we always have them. And prior to this, we actually had like a waiting list, 30 restaurants deep, of people who wanted product that we just didn't have enough. Um, we, it, it's always a balancing act of trying to figure out, okay, some, some weeks, you know, they're gonna put it as a special and they're gonna put it as a special, but then this person has it on every day. And, you know, there's a bit of a guessing game with that. But um, in general, we know that we're gonna sell X amount of ducks.
0: And what What's the shelf of, of your duck once it's uh, ready for sale? Like a week wow Says so it's a
1: fresh product um, right. fresh meat product luckily uh we have freezers we have a freezer that's bigger than my apartment <laughs> um so we have pivoted to be we have an e-commerce option now and retail which we never had before and then we're freezing a lot of product and then we've also dropped down two weeks ago half our production so we're wow. guessing that in nine weeks, people will start ordering again, but we're predicting it's probably going to be only half as much as what it was for a while until either, you know, we just don't know if any restaurants are going to survive. We want them to, we hope them to. Um, but I think, yeah, like, like you said, the news the news changed so quickly then and it's just really hard to tell how many Open, so we obviously have way more product than we need for retail. Um, so we'll just keep freezing and then have this like back law, lo- or you know, it, once it's frozen, it's good for over a year. Um, so that's the good news, is that we're not losing. We're losing money in the sense that you can sell fresh product a little bit more than you can sell frozen product um, at a higher price point. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. yeah.
1: So we're losing money in that regard, but we're not like totally just dumping everything
0: it's not like you had to throw away eight weeks of production
1: right and the alternative is to literally go out and like poison the ducks in the field and throw them away like that's not a good option either that seems ridiculous especially one from a humanitarian kind of like there's hungry people out here and we're just gonna go out and kill food for no good reason Um, yeah but the investment in them too you know at for the ducks that are five, six, seven weeks old, that's already over a month's worth of feed. And feed is our most expensive cost. Um, it's higher than payroll. It's higher than supplies. It's higher than anything. and so wow. you already, okay. You already have all that money invested into the duck and to just like lose it for no good reason, then then that's a surefire way to go out of business. But if we can start finding CSAs to partner with, we found other wholesalers to like list items with them. Um, Some people are selling it for us at their farmer's market stands. You know, we're finding other avenues to kind of like keep the lights on. And the nice thing with the retail sales is that instead of waiting 30 days for our check, to come in from like the restaurant that is money that's all like in the bank instantly um so that's like day-to-day operating costs especially for payroll that's being funded by e-commerce right now
0: so so we saw something similar and that was when basically when when the announcements came of, about shelter in place and the kind of the, the new reality started to set in and we had people. Our Our wholesale customers were basically saying, "Hey, can I can I cancel this order? Yeah. Uh, if or or if we are doing our normal follow up, it just became really clear, really quickly, that it w- it was almost insulting to even to even call and ask if there was time for a new order right. because they're they're just struggling like." You know, it, it, the 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 proprietors are, have have come out from behind the curtain and are now working the front desk, working the ca- working the cash register, basically doing a one man, one woman, uh, or husband and wife team, or, or whatever show. And you're like now the, you know, like I said, the, the least of their worries. Yeah. Yeah, just a, it, it's it's crazy, and I guess trying to predict. How things are going to continue to evolve over you know the next two weeks, four weeks, and you're working on a nine week timetable—that's crazy. So for us, I I I wrote to I wrote I wrote an email to friends and family, basically almost imploring them, saying, "Hey, just just being real. Hey, here's where we are." And I've seen you do uh, similar things as well on on social media, basically saying, "Here's where we are as a business." you know me, you know the quality of our business, you know how we've all poured our heart and souls into this. If you're in a place where you can support and you were, you've ever thought about supporting, now more than ever that support would be, would be really, really appreciated. We, yeah. we certainly saw a spike, a, a huge spike. I mean, it was like some of our best days ever with online sales. Unfortunately, our online sales are normally for us only about uh, between three and six, seven percent uh of our overall sales so although online sales may double or triple or i mean even if they quadruple that's that's let's okay so let's use the high-end numbers of both of those if it's seven percent of our online sales and it quadruples okay so now it would be the equivalent of 28 percent of an average month's revenue but if everything else is basically those faucets have just turned off you know i mean restaurants for you have turned off Cafes and juice bars for me have turned off. Office snack deliveries have turned off. So, yeah. I mean, and not just like, oh, we're down. We saw a 20% dip. No, we're seeing like a 99%. Dip. Zero. I mean, it was like, you know, all events canceled. Yeah. So those online sales. While they are really nice, and the margins tend to be a little bit better than doing wholesale, it's unrealistic for those to fully cover the the economic damage that is being done with the with every week that goes on with those normal core customers. You know, basically withdrawing yeah. into the into their shells of just trying just in, in full on survival mode. Have you seen something? Similar. Yeah. Like did you did you have a spike and then has it kind of dipped into like a or are you getting a sense of what the new normal is? Has it continued, etc.?
1: Yeah, totally. So our our wholesale was about ninety percent mm-hmm. of our business. Um, and that's probably even conservative. It's probably closer to like 95%, but for ease, I've just been saying 90. Um, we did or we do currently still sell to some more like specialty grocery markets um, and some butcher shops locally. And they, are, they have stayed on. So we basically have seen our wholesale drop about mm-hmm. 80%. And then the online sales, yeah, the same sort of cadence as you. You know, we never even had that option and we really didn't market up a ton. It's basically just trying to like get any sort of money from it. Um, so it's almost wholesale cost. They were huge. The first posts that I did, and that was amazing. And then, um, it slowly dropped like after that, but like every post I did, you know, you I see it go up a little bit and then slow down and then go up a little bit and then slow down. And so that now that we're kind of like settling into that, that is basically, it's looking like going to be about like 10% of what our weekly average would have been. So now we're looking at, yeah, operating around. 65 to 70 percent of our normal
0: income that's that's bad but that's not yeah horrendous
1: well i I get. well maybe i should say we're operating at 30 to 35 percent we're okay okay (laughs)
0: okay then that is really bad yeah (laughs) okay
1: (laughs) yeah sorry i phrased that wrong i mean those it's (laughs)
0: It's funny. Y- you sell, you know, the, this high-end quality meat product, and I sell, yeah, I- individually individual servings of vegan coconut energy bars.
1: Which I will say have gotten me through the last two weeks because I've, I've been so busy. That's all I've eaten.
0: I feel like our our <laughs> our monies were just uh, basically passing each other in the not in the mail, I guess, on Stripe. <laughs> but it's just funny, like just how many similarities there are in what would seemingly be such drastically different uh, industries. I mean, I know like higher quality, yeah. higher price points for within the industry. Obviously, we're family-owned, family-run, high-quality, small business, uh, focus on that local store, local story, tug at the heartstrings in, in marketing. But the the, <laughs> the, the the COVID effect is so, so similar. I mean, like the, the numbers that you're saying, yeah. I mean, that's that's exactly where we are.
1: Yeah. It's kind of nuts. I mean, I, like I, I would be curious if you were doing something that was outside of the food industry like if that those numbers held up
0: yeah well you know both of them but the 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 previous guest so <laughs> Dane with his with sock club the core of their company now is actually in promotional items they, they do socks right um, so think of the example that I used in that podcast was uh, his local NPR station they want to they want to have a pr- kind of an incentive for people to donate you know $100 or $200 you know whatever and so they did socks one year well pr- those promotion items are going to be some of the first things to be on the chopping block, though they're going to see a huge sales of cut. Of course, yeah. Um, then we had Chris Duffy on the show, who's a comedian, obviously all events, and he's in LA, which is a COVID hotbed, and so his events are, are canceled. Yeah. So w- there are a lot of friends, friends of the show, friends of the pod, who... Uh, <laughs> 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 who are obviously being hit really really hard and, and then there's kind of this other core group or this is just people who are just totally unaffected uh, unaffected uh financially i should say so people that uh, people who come to mind in my yeah. world are people who work in in public education teachers who obviously are are never paid what they should be but at least they're still getting the same paycheck that they that they would, and so and, and then there are lots of other people who are like working from home, and it's kind of like, oh hey, I I get to work from home, and maybe I get a little bit of like the Netflix bug during the day, and ooh like you know, haha, look at these memes online about oh the this Zoom conference and this person turned it's what you and I were talking about b- before we started the interview. Oh, the the, the woman who turned it her, who turned herself into a potato in her Zoom uh, video <laughs> conference and couldn't figure out how to turn it back and like. Those like little moments of hilarity, right? It's like, that's their new normal. And like, yeah, yeah, they're still enduring a a public health risk, which shouldn't be understated. And then also, yes, you're, you're in shelter in place, but there isn't like this, this critical, very real threat to like the lifeblood of your company, of your, of your livelihood in a way that is that just i think adds a whole new level of like realness to to this very uh like existential threat to everything that you've poured your heart and soul into for the last couple or well yeah for the the wine business for your uh wine label for the last four four and a half years five years and then
1: uh almost four
0: four? okay um and then and then for the 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 duck i mean that's you said nineteen oh
1: The family business was started in 1901, and then my dad. dad okay, right, and then
0: your dad. Yeah. 92, right. So again, something that you've like you know poured heart and soul, blood, There's sweat, and tears, etc. Right, There's there is nothing, nothing else. Yeah. yeah. So trying to trying to pivot, yeah, yeah, and 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 the 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 support, the outpouring of support for I, I know that that you felt that I felt has been. Incredible. And I know certainly has helped me from like an emotional Absolutely. standpoint. Which is
1: right now, probably at just as important as everything else.
0: Now, I know that in my office, my day to day is drastically changed. And when I get to the office, I have to be very intentional and honestly, like creative. And I guess by that, I mean the, the pillars of business that I've spent the last seven years building are all hugely affected right now. So yeah. when I sit down on my computer each morning, I almost feel like I'm starting from scratch, like yeah. looking for business in new places. Do you feel similarly?
1: Oh, just yeah, my day-to-day prior to this it was like some emails, some text messages, you know, some phone calls, but like largely based just on QuickBooks, like all day every day. And since we've pivoted to yep. e-commerce and none of that talks to QuickBooks, so all of that has to be done by hand. When I do those like few actual orders that we're getting from our our with our, our restaurants that are still like doing takeout or the butcher shops, I'm like, wait, what am I doing in here? Like, I kind of forgot. It's crazy how in just like two short weeks, like my whole day to day looks nothing like it did.
0: You just got me thinking about this when you said that um, basically the the way that you currently have your ecom set up. Is that it doesn't speak to to QuickBooks. You're trying to survive, but you're also trying to keep like good yep. books and like it, and, and and it's like those little things. You're you're trying to move the rowboat forward while also bailing out all the water. And it's sometimes it's difficult in an analogy to yeah. do both. And right now, it's like the, there's just so much, so many leaks, so much water coming in. That it's like it's it's just really hard to move the business forward. You're just trying to yeah, totally.
1: I mean, I'm on day to day. I'm a delivery person. I'm a order packer. I'm a warehouse staff. I'm an IT support. I'm email, phone. I think I've noticed on the phone calls that I'm getting, like people. I think because they're home, and some people maybe they. They don't live with anybody else, or maybe they only like live with just their partner. Um, I think they're lonely, and they just want to like talk. Like I'm having these like ten minute long conversations with people that really are they're about the duck, but like much longer than they they would be if it was just a a normal day.
0: I will say that, at the, and sometimes I I think I I put on my my silver lining glasses. A yeah, little bit well, I much, think that's but... the only
1: way to keep saying though, honestly.
0: Agreed, agreed. Because otherwise, gosh, things just look yeah. so dire sometimes. But I, I do think that it's it's been refreshing seeing how people have kind of banded together, bo- bo- uh, have bonded, I think, as, as a community, as a, dare I say it, as a country. <laughs> but I mean, kind of, but seriously, like, it, maybe not yet. <laughs> yeah, okay. But it's funny, like, so when I take my dogs for a walk, yes, people cross the street to avoid me but there's also this like knowing look that people exchange that are that people are are exchanging yeah. with each other a little bit more intention in their hey right. how's it going hey how are you just like just a, a little bit more than than normal you know, people aren't avoiding eye contact necessarily and i feel like it's because people know that like we are in mm-hmm. this together there is a, a a movement to shop local and to kind of support donations where possible and kind of think maybe it's because we have so much time by ourselves locked up with (laughs) our loved ones hopefully that you maybe have time to think about more than maybe you have like more mental bandwidth to think outside of your of your normal of the areas where that you normally concentrate your 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 brain power so it's like you know oh maybe i should buy instead of buying from this big chain maybe i should support this mom and pop that i've always kind of liked but like now more than ever, needs my little yeah. bit of help. And even if it's only the the thirty dollar, forty dollar duck option, or the twenty five dollar box of rickrins, like every every single one of those purchases, it it genuinely helps. Yeah, a, a few of those orders a day, you know, hopefully more than a few, but that can stave off shuttering your doors from which you may not reopen. Totally. I
1: mean, every time like a. Uh- if I get 10 $100 orders, that $1,000 is almost someone's, you know, like half a month salary, like it's, it's not quite, but like, I, you know, th- like things add up and like, yeah. like $1,000 is like a really tangible idea. Like, you know, that's PG and E or that's electricity amount. cost for two of the barns, you know, like that, those are bills that are like every single thing really makes a difference and people are like well what's I'm sorry it's not a big order and I'm like it's you know it's not the idea that it's a small order it's that one you cared enough to order it all that's amazing and two like chances are you're gonna cook it and it tastes really good and you might tell your neighbor or you might call your mom or you might you know be on zoom with your coworkers and be like man we made this great dinner last night and like those sort of Little touches and connections is like all we could ask for right now.
0: I could not agree <laughs> more. I swear, I almost started crying. So I, I, I don't, I don't manage our social media. Uh, my, my amazing yeah. sister does. So I check in on it, it basically, basically just as a, uh, almost as like a, a, a normal consumer. Like it just comes up on my Instagram feed, and obviously I go out of my way to, mm-hmm. to check it, but it's not my primary focus. And I checked it the other day, and Stevie had basically reposted a bunch of a bunch of people's uh stories that had included rickaroons like hey there's this amazing local company or you know these are so delicious they, oh, you know or, or maybe they don't, they don't and it's for people who i right. don't know and that's that's like one of the well first of all that's that's a whole nother conversation in of itself about how as you're growing you know when people who you don't know start to buy your product you're like oh my gosh, I'm it's a real so company. Cool.
1: I saw that with uh, the wine yeah. firsthand. So, I was like, oh my gosh. Right.
0: Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you're, you're just yeah. going to buy it? Really? Why? And people are like, I, I like the product. Can I just have a <laughs> bottle of wine, please, and be on my way? And you're like, but can yeah. we hug? And they're like, listen, lady, just give me the wine. I'm out of here. <laughs> all right." Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, nope. <laughs> no,
1: I just want to drink with my spaghetti tonight.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. They're like, uh, I just want a, a, a a coconut energy bar can you just leave me <laughs> alone please weirdo but you posted about us uh those little things they yeah. go a long way it helps it helps um helps the psyche and and you know keeps you going and those little purchases i think they're gonna keep a lot of small businesses alive totally you know just gotta just, just gotta do CPR business cpr long enough uh for the for the <laughs> for the <laughs> federal uh EMT this is this is a drawn out <laughs> analogy for the federal EMTs to to uh, to arrive with their uh, with their shock paddles uh in the form of the CARES Act which let's see today is Tuesday it only passed last Thursday or Friday so I think I know our lender is still figuring out the they, union bank said they would give us yeah, a call back know how to do at it. the end of the week when they yeah you're like, well, we know we're going to have money to loan, but we don't know how to loan it to you yet.
1: Yeah. And we talked about this in our pre-show that they excluded ranches from that. Yeah. So we're still waiting to see... Apparently the USDA does its own disaster funding, um, mm-hmm. but that hasn't gone through yet. So we're still...
0: Which makes sense because you'd, you'd think that... um that the, that the USDA ha, has to respond to this type of thing happening generally more regionally. Yeah. But on a way, uh, well, probably annually, semi, or, you know, biannually, tri- something where it's happening relatively often. So it seems like they should have the systems in place. Yeah. Right? I mean, like, what happens when there's, like, a crazy drought or a crazy tornado or uh, the hurricanes or, you know, something that just wipes out an entire... Uh, crop, crop or or maybe there's a president in office who has made it a point to you know have policies in place that have uh, drastically upended certain revenue streams for soybean farmers or you know what
1: yeah there's definitely disaster funding that will be available it's just a matter of like when and who's going to figure that out um my dad earlier uh, a good friend of the farms he works a lot in California policy making for agriculture and so he you know called him and he calls you know the Department of Agriculture California and if they're trying to figure out and no one has a timeline yet which is frustrating yeah we have to just keep soldiering on and so that's what we're gonna do
0: yeah it's funny I I was just listening to a, a podcast I think it was Choiceology. Uh it's great. It's with Katie Milkman, at least season two is, um, and she's fantastic. But they were doing a thing about how the like the human psyche does really well, like what like we do well in pursuing round numbers and and do well when we have a goal. Like you're more likely to finish a race if you can see the finish line than you mm-hmm. were a mile before, even though in theory you should be more tired. Or if you're at the if you're at the gym, you're gonna try to finish. You know, you're, you're gonna try to do ten reps of something. And I guess where I'm going with this is, I think it will be easier for people to continue on if they just have a, a target date to get to, right? Yeah. You know, disaster relief will be available April fifteenth, May first. Like, just tell me how long do I need to get? You know, how, how long do I need to make these these two nickels that I have to rub together? How long do I need to make them last? Right. right do I need to work 80 hours a week for the rest of my life? Do I need to work, you know, uh, am I, do I just need to, do I need to sell my house and live in my little cafe because for six months or four months, or is it going to be one month? So just having that little bit of knowledge. And so I know like for us, we're definitely stuck right now. We're we're in a tough spot, but, yeah. no, but having seen that last uh, care package get passed, just knowing that that, that those funds will be available soon I know it's lifted my my morale my spirits and we've in the in the meantime um we've started doing a a kind of cultivating care packages within our little group of of cafes and juice bars and and basically are going to be donating to uh, the er staffs of our local hospitals here in san diego yeah and so uh, the the people, uh, cause I, I don't really have any sales calls to make because everyone is basically <laughs> closed. Uh, yeah. So I'm basically calling people who I have good enough relationships with, and, and you know, saying, hey, I know you don't have any money right now, but can you give me some free product? Right. No, but I, mean, I think it's a good thing to do. But the person I was talking to today, they, they were like, "Yeah, I, I can, I can do this basically one time, and, and it's it was great." it was great that they were in a position to be able to give. They were Mm -hmm. also in a place of like, this is only, this is going to be like a one-time thing. And then they were also, uh, I know he and his wife have both been working a lot more, basically covering all of their, like where they normally would have hired someone are working all of those hours. Right. Uh, And they, like, we had a pretty decently long conversation (laughs) going back to what you were saying earlier about how your conversations with your customers have, uh, are seeming to, to uh, extend in length we were just talking about how we're we're hoping that the bill that was passed is as good as uh, we we're hoping that basically it's good enough to be able to hire the people on who we have grown to appreciate both as people mm-hmm. and then also have trained and you know when if It's one thing if people are gone for a week or two or three and, you know, they can collect a little bit of unemployment maybe. Uh, Yeah. But, you know, people, if they're gone for much longer, like, there's no guarantee that they're going to come back. And that's, there's like, that's like a a whole nother kind of negative impact that uh, I don't, I don't think I've really seen or read much about this. When you lose those people who you've invested so much time and effort in, it's really difficult to replace those people in mass, especially, right? Like it's one thing, you know, if you're a Jamba Juice franchise, right? You have someone who's been working there for 18 months. They're like an assistant manager. You have someone who's been there for two years. They're a manager like... If they're all gone, it's really difficult. If one person leaves great you you hire someone and you you know everyone kind of picks up a few extra shifts in the makeup for that person, and then eventually you replace it but yeah. it's just it's so hard to adjust when the when when it, when there's such a huge pivot it's such a huge uh downturn, and it's so unexpected
1: right it yeah. it went from zero to 60 in a blink of an eye.
0: Yeah, or or sixty to zero.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess that's probably <laughs> <Yeah>. more forget. <appropriate.
0: sighs> yeah. So hopefully, I mean my, my biggest hope is that the uh, the PPL, which is like pay, pay paycheck protection loan, something along those lines. Yeah. yeah. Um that, that uh comes to fruition in the, in and meets my hopes because I I want to a support the people who have become such a big part of our company um, you know we have a phenomenal special event staff but obviously we have literally no special events right and and with the downturn that like we've talked about in in and the, the you know just absolute drop off a cliff uh, revenue numbers like there just isn't any source of funding to keep those people on yeah and so I'm, I'm I know you're hoping I'm, I'm hoping that that well you're hoping that a different care, a different funding package comes through well uh, we
1: can actually get on to that part of oh the you package can. yeah so it's kind of weird i don't uh, it's stupid complicated but we can get the payroll protection which okay. will be really um it will be beneficial like i don't want to understate that especially since we even though we have Limited funds and limited revenue coming in, we still have full time work. Like, we can't, I don't want to lay anybody off, and we can't lay anybody off because there's just not enough hours in the day to keep things
0: moving. So,
1: the pay that that portion of it will be huge, huge, yeah, game changer for sure. I mean,
0: and and that needs to happen too because those people get laid off like which just like not an option for you and then when it becomes an option it's like that, that that means basically like you've taken your last gasp
1: right yeah
0: and and when that happens then those people like they're now on unemployment they're basically no longer spending in in the in the economy and yeah all of a sudden this like this snowball turns into an avalanche
1: it's just a vacuum effect i mean and i know that we're not alone in that situation
0: well i know we're kind of nearing the end here
1: we need to end on something positive i know
0: i was just thinking about that like (laughs) that was
1: really really sad note to finish on it's a
0: vacuum and we're all gonna die poor and alone no no
1: i've eaten more duck in the last two and a half weeks than I've eaten in my entire life, probably.
0: Oh man, I've been eating more Ricaroons in the last two weeks than <laughs> I have in the, la- <laughs> in the last few years for sure.
1: At a humble abode, we've been doing lots of recipe testing so that I have one content to post on social media so people get excited to purchase it right but also just to make it easy because duck is not a in certain countries around the world it is a day-to-day item but it's not in the United States so it's like okay how do we how do we tell the public that cooking duck isn't scary and it's really easy and it's really delicious so that's been that's been like the fun part about all this is like creating all that content and Experimenting, and my husband is being become quite a chef. Eh,
0: he's all right. <laughs> just just uh one of my best friends for the last fifteen years, but he's listening the absolute number one best friend in the whole wide world. Obviously. Yeah. There you go.
1: There you yeah.
0: Go. <laughs> okay, so I, I know how to wrap this up. But let's go ahead and uh, galvanize uh, all of our tens of listeners here. Yes. Uh, and we didn't really end up talking too much about the the wine label um yeah. so actually before i wrap things up real quick is the would you say that the wine label is basically a, a one a one superwoman show right? <laughs> yeah um so that and obviously by the the nature of wine although obviously certain wines age better than others you do have a longer shelf life um than a lot of items out there
1: yeah there's a there's a cork in it
0: right you can literally <laughs> put a cork in it uh <laughs> And so that business I feel like is is probably easier to dial back with the times and trying to turn on turn off as needed would would you say that that's that's accurate
1: Yeah that's definitely true I mean I I am about 60% wholesale with that just in the bay area primarily um, mm-hmm. so there's there's certainly some like shifts that's going to happen with inventory but Yeah, like I said, like there's a cork in that wine. Like it's not going anywhere. I think there will be a backlog of supply, especially amongst small independent winemakers like myself.
0: Do you you think that like next summer wine is like, like our wine futures just plummeting right now because there's going to be a a big overstock of wine?
1: Yeah. So, and on top of that, we're actually coming off two back-to-back years of big harvests. So people, the last two years the the wines that they're bottling maybe starting now they have a lot of them and not as many places to sell them so it'll be interesting to see like what the the price of wine will be I was was about time to start raising my prices but I've decided to table that table
0: that no pun intended
1: yeah exactly it's been hard like I bottled half of my production last week and I was present and I did the whole bottling, but it was, I was such a, like an out-of-body experience because I'm dealing with this multi-faceted, multi-employee company on one hand and then have this like very glorified side hustle on the other. <laughs>
0: right.
1: And, and my, my, my focus has been a little bit skewed, but I've been really excited. There's been a lot of like collaborative posts that people have done the at-home consumer is making that connection as well, which is really fun. I wish I could ship them together. But again, going back to like laws and regulations, it makes it kind of complicated. Right. Because I have no one to pay in the wine business. I have bills to pay, but not so many that's going to like absolutely tank me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's just going to be, you know, instead of paying off my credit card bill, I'll just pay the minimum, you know, stuff like that.
0: Interesting.
1: Oh. Um, Right. Yeah. Love interest. It's super great, but it's not going to go away. What will change probably will be my 2020 harvest. I probably won't make as much wine as I did in 2019. Right. I'll still make all of it, but just maybe not as, as many cases of it.
0: Companies like, and I don't know what there is in in the wine world, but companies like Imperfect Produce uh-huh. And, and kind of companies in in the a similar vein that kind of buy up maybe product with or like a TJ Maxx or you know something that like that buys product that might be nearing uh, expiration or or something like that. I feel like those companies are going to have like their pick of the litter. It's going to be really difficult for companies like yours with the with the wine Uh, where you have like one like you have like one chance or one one decision point in time to say here's how much wine I am going to make for this entire next year's calendar and and with the duck it's like okay you're you're forecasting nine weeks out and if you're wrong then if you're overstocked then you're kind of following general rules of of economics, like you're going to decrease the price and try to offload it. And, you know, we're going to do the same thing. Yeah. And it's going to be hard to and and this is just going to be, I think, a common theme across across the economy across the country is how do you predict a rebound? Basically,
1: right. I'm trying hard to not I mean, I'm thinking about it as far as, like, forecasting, but, like, when I think about even trying to figure out what's going to be a month from now, my head just starts spinning, and I'm like, I can't, I can't, I can't. Back it up.
0: Oh, come on. You're a top 40 under 40. <laughs> you can do anything, Jen. Uh, it's,
1: uh, it'll be, yeah. It'll, yeah, it will be interesting.
0: Yeah. Sure. So, all right, I figured out a way to, to wrap this up. Tell me what you are doing to support other small businesses? And what would you like other people to, to do? And I, I would feel like I wouldn't be putting most people on the spot, but I, I know you're, uh, you're just freaking awesome. And so I, I know that you're, you're, you're doing what you want others to be doing. So put yourself on a pedestal. Tell me what, what you've been doing, how you've been supporting your local community and how others can support companies like like yours, both of them, and how we can all kind of get through this together.
1: Yeah. So I think like my whole life, we've been just like a champion of like the local farmer and knowing where your food comes from. And I think right now consumers have the best chance they're ever going to get to really look at like their supply chain and where they're getting their consumables from and what a difference that, that can make in like their health and in the health of their community and in the health of the economy of their community. So I've always, you know, raising animals for meat is a it's a weird thing. Like it's a pretty heavy subject when you kind of start thinking about it, but I've always wanted people to be more connected with their meat producers and to not think of a chicken breast as like something on a styrofoam plate wrapped in cellophane like where did that chicken come from what life was it living how did it get from being a live being to the grocery store and there's local producers of meat all around the country like they exist in every community you just have to want to find them um, so I would hope that people are are looking into those avenues. and you know of our restaurants that are still doing takeouts or local farms doing cSAs. Um, you know, we're lucky five miles from our house. There's a great farm that sells to restaurants in the Bay area. They have a farm stand already. So at least they were set up for this, but instead of buying my vegetables that are coming from gosh knows where, like we're trying to go over there and buy them.
0: Yeah. You've been shopping locally. I guess you probably haven't even adjusted your, <laughs> <laughs> your buying habits because you live in like, Hey, this Mecca of local produce. That is true. <laughs> and B, you're plugged into the industry. Mm-hmm. Generally, though, I guess what you're saying is now more than ever, people's vote counts and they get to vote with their wallets.
1: Totally, if you yeah.
0: Want, if you want companies, I know my my wife and I, we tend not to eat out very much. And we've actually tried to make it a point to support kind of the, some of the, the smaller businesses that we're fans of. The Supany House of Thai, which you know from our wedding yeah yeah so you know we we went and picked up from her uh last week i think we're gonna do it again this week mr mr moto's pizza we got two nights ago just place i feel like pizza places probably aren't struggling too much you know drop into that local taco shop and and take your food out to go those those little purchases really do add up yeah they add up both monetarily and then also just in terms of like keeping morale up
1: totally i mean like I know a lot of our restaurants just like physically weren't able to have takeout options. It just was not possible. So if they don't, like a lot of them have secondary funds going for their staff or or for the, the restaurants. I mean, it's sad that the state of our economy is GoFundMes, but those can really make a difference too. So if you if you're not sure if you want to get takeout or if you're um worried about your favorite restaurant not being there in a month reach out to them see what they're doing
0: yeah wise words all right last last things uh if people want to buy liberty ducks where do they go
1: Libertyducks.com
0: if they want to buy raft wine
1: drink.raft.wine
0: drink.raft.wine love it <laughs> what else if they want to follow you on instagram
1: DuckDotterJJ.
0: jj jj
1: Yep. Leaning into those ducky ducky puns.
0: <laughs> all right. Well, your husband's one of my best friends, but talking with you is uh, genuinely refreshing because you just need to find people who are in a similar boat to you right. to, to, to find that, that kind of natural shoulder to cry on sometimes.
1: I mean, it's hard for me. Like, I love all my best friends, but most of them are in jobs that aren't affected by this. Yeah we had a zoom conference with them and it was like fun. Everyone's laughing and they're like, so Jen, what's like your world? Like we see all this stuff online. And like, it was like Debbie downer. And I'm like, yeah, I can't tell you how many people I know got laid off last week and they're just not in that world. And so it's, it is like, right. To have people who understand um, what you're going through is, is also very valuable.
0: Yep. And is literally the primary reason behind this show. There we we go. I knew you would put a good bow on this show. All right, Uh, Jen, uh, you're awesome. Thanks so much for being on the show. Love you. Love Mike. And uh, talk to you soon. Thank you so much to Jen Riker for being on the show. If you would like to try her family's duck and bring the menu of a Michelin star restaurant to your house, go to libertyducks.com available west of the Rockies. Maybe even pair it with some Raft Wine, assuming you're 21, available via mail in 40 states. You can get 15% off both with the code Biz, all one word, that's small, B-I-Z. And then again, maybe skip the code. Also, thanks to Peggy Bunker and the Bunkmates and their frontman and future guest of the show, Ryan, for use of their song Geronimo. The ever-depressing unemployment and COVID stats come from the Department of Labor website dol.gov and worldometer.com. As I always will, I am ending today's show with one unsponsored small business recommendation. Today's business that you should support, if you can, is Think Possible Apparel. They have tons of awesome shirts with beautiful designs, each made up of tiny affirmations. So while it looks like an elephant doing a yoga pose, it's actually designed, design made up of tiny positive affirmations and still an elephant doing a yoga pose. It's guaranteed to get you a compliment when you're out or no money back. Do some social distance shopping from your couch at thinkpossibleapparel.com. No need to feel guilty because you're shopping small and helping the economy. Check out smallbizgoneviral.com for all episodes and updates, and as always, I would genuinely love to hear from you with your feedback, input, interview nominations, and suggestions for future shows. You can always send an email to smallbizgoneviral at gmail.com. Just like with small businesses, if you like this podcast, share it with friends. Last thing, someday, hopefully soonish, this will all be over. Until then, stay inside, and remember to shop small and buy local. I'm Grant LeBeau, thanks for listening.